There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. Book News, your latest literary roundup. So, Huda Barakat has won the international international even prize for Arabic fiction, referred to by many as the Arabic Booker. I know that you were at the Abu Dhabi International Book Fair. Were you there on Tuesday? No, I wasn't. Unfortunately, I only got up there late on Wednesday. So I missed a lot of the, the action, so to speak. Uh, it was great. It was obviously it's a book fair rather than unlike Dubai, rather, where it's a book festival. So it has a bit of a different feel. But particularly over the weekend, it was absolutely thronged and thriving. I mean, it was so busy. And again, it was fabulous to see so many young people there, so many children. Um, it was very, very busy. Um, people were selling books and people were obviously buying books and they all had these little carry trolley things that were packed with books. So that was a wonderful sign. But tremendous energy and some great speakers. I'm going to sp- speak to you in a couple of minutes about some of the things that you actually moderated because you moderated some rather interesting authors but I will say that you said that it's more of a book fair but it does have a very good cultural events um, author program this year partly because the Emirates Literature Foundation is curating the cultural yes which was fabulous so the usual suspects were all there (laughs) (laughs) yeah they were I didn't get to go unfortunately but that's why I'm going to live vicariously through you in just a few minutes but I will catch you up on the International Prize for Arabic Fiction so Hoda Barakat won she won for her novel The Night Mail which will be titled The Night Post when it's translated to English and I sometimes forget how big this prize actually is Mm -hmm. so in addition to receiving funding for an English translation the winner received $50,000 or rather over 183,000 dirhams. I'm looking forward to reading the book. So as you guess from the title, The Night Post, the novel is told in the form of letters and they're each intercepted by unconnected characters. So they never actually reach their intended recipients. And when each character stumbles across the letter, they write a letter of their own. So it's kind of a domino effect of letters. And all their stories are different. And the final letter is actually from the mailman or the postman. What a clever idea. I know. So I can't wait for this to be translated. The only problem with the IPAF award is I get really excited about the winner and then I have to wait for ages for it to be translated. Um, But this also connects to something that we were talking about on Talking of Books last Saturday. And we did a show that was sort of themed around the idea of letter writing because April in the United States is National Card and Letter Writing Month. And I found this clip of a session that Ian Rankin did at the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature. And halfway through it, he talks about having to sort through all his things when moving house, Marie Kondo style, (laughs) getting rid of the things that no longer spark joy. And he mentioned letters. He found all sorts of letters and and correspondence. In addition to bank statements dating back to the 90s, he found old manuscripts, diaries, correspondence. And he had to sort through all of this when deciding what would be archived in the National Library of Scotland. So have a listen to this. The correspondence was fascinating to me because we, when when I first got married, we moved to London for four years. Then we moved to France for six years, pre-internet. And so a correspondent with a lot of authors. And um, I was, I'd, I'd forgotten how many letters I had from someone like Ian Banks, for example, yeah. fellow Scottish author. Before I'd ever met him, we had a correspondence. We used to write to each other. Um, and I found all those letters. And of course, he's sadly no longer with us. And then I was finding letters from P.D. James, Ruth Rendell, William McIlvaney, Philip Kerr. Um, I'm going to forget who else. And they're all gone. Michael Dibden was another one. None of them are around anymore. Um, and there were two things that made me very sad, made me very poignant, and a lot of them had died young. I mean, Philip Kerr, Ian Banks, they were 61, 62 when he died. 
Um, but also my generation is possibly the last generation of writers who will have an archive like that. Who, who writes letters these days? I mean, nobody does. You do tweets and emails if you're lucky. Even the faxes, I was finding faxes from old-fashioned shiny paper fax machines, and they were just blank sheets of paper because the ink on them had, had faded to nothing. Um, and discs, computer discs, in fact, I just found these a few days ago from my old Amstrad, little solid chunky floppy disks from an Amstrad. I mean, how anybody's going to, be able to read those, I have no idea. Um, and will the information on them be corrupt, corrupted? You know, there's copies of letters. So the letters I sent to all these dead people are on these floppy disks, and they may have been corrupted, and we'll never know what I was saying to them. We'll only have their responses. So it was kind of, so that's all gone to the National Library of Scotland, and, and eventually I mean, there is an archivist who's going to be um, given the job of going through it all and trying to make sense of it. Gosh, the, yeah, sorry, but uh, that must have been so emotional for him. It must have been, yeah. I mean, so just uh, to let you know, if you're just tuning in, that was Ian Rankin speaking at the 2019 Emirates Airline Festival of Literature, and that was a little segue into correspondence and letter writing, which was a subject we were talking about last Saturday on the show. You were saying, Edna? Um, yeah, I've got to interview him before at the Literature Festival. I mean, he's absolutely fascinating, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's going to somehow bring this into his books down the road too, because there's so much there, and I can imagine the richness of the letters that were going you know, from him that he still has held on the discs if he can raise them up but also the letters he got back but it is so lovely to, to get a letter or even a postcard. I'm still a bit of a postcard person. I have a few people on my list and you know wherever I go rambling off I will tend to send a card but occasionally now I'm having more difficulty finding a stamp sometimes. And if you go to the hotel lobby and depending on the age of the receptionist, when I ask them for a stamp, they think I'm looking for the stamp of the hotel or a parking <laughs> stamp because <laughs> they actually don't know what it is. They're like a stamp. Really? A stamp? You're going to. So there it goes. It's a, a fading tradition, sadly. But you're saying it is letter writing month, so we should all get back to it. Well, it was in the States. It was just kind of an excuse to idea. celebrate more deliberate forms of communication on the show last Saturday. And it also relates to something that we'll be talking about in a few minutes as well. If we're talking about the 70s and we're talking about the space race and compiling the Voyager Golden Record, it kind of relates to that as well. But that was a little trip down memory lane, yes. a bit of nostalgia from the Emirates Airline Festival of Literature, which happened in March this year. But back to something that is still happening now, the Abu Dhabi International Book Fair. It's on from the 24th to the 30th of April at the Abu Dhabi National Exhibition Centre. Now, you can actually see a few more things today. So I'm going to take you through a few things that are happening that you might have a chance to get to see if you leave right now so not bad people by brandy scott um our very own dubai's very own brandy scott will be at the abu dhabi international book fair speaking at one o'clock today about her book not bad people if you're wondering what um we will look like in the year 2050 or the world will look like in year 2050 saeed al gargawi director of the dubai future academy will be answering this question and providing all sorts of thoughts on this topic at two o'clock you've got Historian Bethany Hughes speaking at four o'clock about ancient Greece and Helen of Troy. And then if you'd like to head down in the evening, so early evening, five o'clock, Saru Briley, who was the um, inspiration for the film Lion, which was based on a true story, his life. He'll be speaking um, on a long way from page to screen, which is basically the story of adapting his his story to um, to film. And he'll be speaking at five o'clock. 
I heard him yesterday too, actually. He was great. He was uh, on a panel with Brandy. And, um, and he also he talked, which was very lovely, about where is home for him. And of course, because of his Australian home where he was adopted and brought up for and lived there for the last 29 years, you know, he talked obviously very fondly about that. He's definitely an Australian. But again, you know, having been born in India, um, he's found this whole new family and new home. So he's nonstop back and forth. He said he's been there 25 times, you know, since finding his birth parents. Um, it's just such a gorgeous story. And he really is. He's, he's a very emotional connector on stage as well. It's lovely to listen to him. So that one's definitely worth a visit. Well, why don't you... I'd like to vicariously through you because you went to quite a bit at the book fair. Oh, I'm sorry you didn't get there. I know. <laughs> but Isabel's been very, very busy there. So you had to hold the fort here. And I think we're going to talk to her a little bit later. Yeah, in a little bit we will, yeah. yeah. Um, it, was, it was... I moderated one wonderful session, actually, on Thursday, which was about women in the UAE. And, of course, we widened that discussion to, to women in the world because I don't think we can look at what's going on here without taking a wider view and zooming out to see where we sit, you know, among the global picture. That was really good. We had, indeed, many authors you've had on here. Kim Page, who wrote The Right Kind of Loud, Dawn Metcalf, her hard talk. And, of course, all of their methodology, in many ways, fits into this conversation, without a doubt. And, of course, the other wonderful woman we had, too, was Rhoda Almari. And she wrote the book, The um, UAE 101. The UAE 101. And, again, really looking at perceptions here in the United Arab Emirates, looking at the role of women, looking at the changing role, because, of course, for her, she can look at the life of her grandmother, her mother, and her life at the minute, which are all so very different. And this happened in such a short term. So never mind being the last generation to be writing letters. When you look at the UAE, there's a generation that will have just done the express tour of life, in a way, living here. And it has changed so much for the new generations. Um, and again, we had some great feedback from people in the audience there. So that was a very lively session, as you can imagine. Three women on stage talking about women. So we spoke about women in the UAE, which was one of the panels that you moderated. But I'm very excited about another one that you did with Carmine Gallo, who wrote the Storyteller's Secret and the Talk Like Ted book. He's written quite a collection of books right now. And of course, you can just imagine how happy I was talking about women in one uh, session. And then I move over to talk about presenting and talk about, you know, presence and communication in another. So they really well done for Isabel and the team for choosing my sessions because they couldn't have matched me better. Now, Carmine Gallo, if... uh, Anybody doesn't know, and he's been at the Literature Festival before. He's a long time. He was a correspondent. He was a journalist, and uh, he worked uh, in the U.S., and he, he is American. But he did a wonderful book early in his career about Steve Jobs and really studied Steve Jobs and then moved on. Obviously, the whole communication core, the core of all of that is what he's doing, and he studied it really, really well. Talk Like Ted is one of the big books and became an international seller, stayed on the first number one list for a long time. And and he's a great speaker as well. So you can imagine we had a full house for that. And it wasn't about, as he said, talk like Ted for hoping that everybody in the audience might become a TED speaker. But he talked very much about what we can all learn from this. And actually, when we study the TED Talks and, again, the limitation on the time, they're 18 minutes long and that's it. And they're not to go beyond that. I guess maybe you'll get a few seconds leeway here or there. It's sort of like a radio. You've got your slot and that's it. We have to finish. And he talked as well, too, about, you know, the reason that that is and the science behind it and the fact that, you know, we just get very bored after about 10 minutes and there is 
the the messages in our mind that just they switch off. So it's not that a speaker might not be that interesting. You have to do something at a 10-minute uh, slot to actually make something a little bit different. So sometimes, too, I suppose, when we think about maybe the commercial breaks that clear off something and then we start again. He was, um, and again, he talked very much, I think, about the fact that what we're doing and what we're talking about now is nothing new. I mean, the great speakers of our world have been revered for time and time again. We, we tend to forget sometimes why we look at people, why we judge people, why we remember people. And it's very much their ability to communicate and their ability to communicate that much better than a lot of other people that we don't remember. One of the very important things, too, that he said that he gets really annoyed when people talk about this as a soft skill. And it also made me reassess, you know, when I talk to human resource people, uh, because I never really considered it a soft skill. This is probably the number one skill that people need. If anything, it's probably the hardest skill and the most, the essential skill. This is really what this is about. There might be other areas of the soft skill genre that you might want to work on. But I think when it comes to communication, there's absolutely no doubt that particularly in the world we live now, that uh, good communication and very refined communication and well strategic communication is probably the most important. What I find uh, interesting, because I'm always approaching everything from a very book-related fiction angle. The title of his last book, I think, The Storyteller's Secret, or has he written one since then? He has. He's, he's turned out another one, and he's working on another one. Um, he's The new one is The Communication Secrets to Get, um, five secrets to get from good to great. Are you so, able to share the five? Five stars. <laughs> no. Um, again, on this, he talks about emotion. You know, he talks about making uh, all of the, what you say, memorable And he does. Many people talked a lot, which is interesting in this area, and said, well, you know, sometimes I ramble in my speech. And he's going, okay, ramble the first time, but the second time, tighten it up. You know, you always have to have a good story. And this, again, is I don't think all of his books are rehash one of another. They're all a different uh, direction that he's taken on these. But it's very much about having a story and having a strong message and having, I think, put a little bit of work into it in advance. And you will find out here, even from guests you have here. And, you know, Brandy was in the audience with a few other people who were there as well. And even the other night, we talked with Richard and Brandy about, you know, when people come on the radio, about having that story, having a message, having the case studies, and putting some effort and thought and planning into what you're going to do when you're doing any form of public speaking. And then you can actually keep on track. And I think this idea of getting used to putting a time limit on yourself is probably very good. Make up the the flow of the conversation. Make sure you know where it's going to start, where it's going to go in the middle and end. Um, and it's all about fine-tuning what we always knew. As he said, it's the great formula of the best hits, the best books, the best films, all of that. It is formulaic, even though people don't always see that. So this was it was quite fascinating. So he's a very interesting one to watch. Lots on the internet that people can pick up for free if they're not going to buy the book immediately. I saw it poking out of your bag, Etna, and I'm very intrigued. And you must share it with our listeners. What do you have with you? Well, it was I was at two sessions by this author, and we also had the opportunity. Carmine Gallo did an interview with him. And this is I'm all sure, at the Abu Dhabi. This, yeah, this was all going on. I mean, it was uh, it was one of the busiest sessions I think running around. We managed to fit all of this in. Carmine Gallo sat afterwards and talked to Zia, Ziadin Yousafzai. Uh, 
Yusuf 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 Sai. Yusuf Sai. There we got it. Now, many people, of course, might pick up on that family name very quickly. He is the father of um, Malala. Malala. I mean, you know, this is, and I think there's nobody in the world that doesn't know who Malala is. And actually, he he very nicely said, he said, I was once the father of Malala. She is really now the daughter of Malala. Zardine. I mean, he's he's put her kind of reversed the role that she has now flipped that whereby I was once more important in her life. And it's now I'm her biggest fan. It's just it was so lovely. But he also spoke about communication. And he talked about how his father was a preacher and, you know, very revered in the community. And he really looked up to him. And as a young man, he had a stammer. And he still has a little visibility of that. Sometimes you can sort of hear it. But it, as he said, doesn't bother him anymore because he got over it by working very closely with his father. But he also talked about the power of communication. And he found it when he was working for girls' education in the Swat Valley. And then he said when he listens to his daughter, just, you know, her, the power that she has in terms of being a good communicator. Uh, so it was one of the things that came up in the discussion a few times, but then particularly when Carmine Gallo did that interview with him afterwards, and he said it's just there is absolutely nothing more important. He came back to that point, and as he said too, for girls in Pakistan and for girls around the world and for girls' education, then one of the key things they must learn to do, and the education, he said, should encourage that too, is really to be better speakers, be better presenters, be more confident, and own that space very much in terms of who they are, their own identity, that authenticity that's there, and be be comfortable who they are. A fabulous man. And, you know, when you look, I suppose, at the, the product that Malala is from coming from that family, it was nonstop encouragement, I think, from the day she was born. A very, very lovely man. So the, his book is Let Her Fly. And that's what he says sometimes when people say, what did you do in terms of contribute to, you know, Malala's position at the moment and, and her just inspiration and her commitment? And he was like, going, maybe it's what I didn't do. And the one thing he said, I've never clipped her wings. It was very emotional. It was very, very lovely. So this is and he's there. I think he's still around. I don't think he's doing another session, but he did a few. It was very, very emotional and powerful. So that is a little update as to what went on at the Abu Dhabi Book Fair. adbookfair.com is where you can go to find out more information. Isabel is at the Abu Dhabi International Book Fair and she's with us on the line to tell us all about it. Hi, Isabel. Hello. Hello, Annabelle. Hello, Edna. We are having the most amazing time. So a session has just finished with the one and only Curtis Jobling and um, Sarah McIntyre. And they, uh, it was called Doodle Mania. And together with the audience, we have created characters. They have gone on a journey. It's, it, it's a book ready to be made. It was amazing. Um, yesterday, we had Saru Briley with Ziadin Yousafzai. Um, we've got Ben Okri later today. We've got Bethany Hughes. It has been the most wonderful program. Very different from the Literary Festival It has a different type of energy and people just, you start sessions, you may not have a big audience and then audience start to um, come in from the side. So it's sort of a, a bit like Covent Garden where things just happen. I'm a little jealous to hear that uh, you had the morning session with Kurt and Sarah. I met her actually oh. this morning before I left. And yes. I bet that was, it sounds like just great fun. Oh, it was incredible. I'm, I'm really hoping that they will put this into a book because um, it was just, 
it was just audience participation in creating characters, animal characters. So but they were drawing each other. So it was consequences. It was like a game. Oh, it, it was it was it was fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And uh, just about to start, or it's already started. We've got Rana Nawas um, talking with a panel of, of other ladies about when women win. And once we're finished on the air, I'm going to be running and joining it. Um, We've got, I know who you'd like to hear. I, I think you'd like to hear from Paul Blessard, wouldn't you? Paul Blessard's here with us, and he's been doing a wonderful job of moderating. This is Dubai Eye. Could you say a few words? Hold on, hold on, on air. Hi, Paul. Oh, Hi there. Greetings from the 29th Abu Dhabi International, um, International Book Fair, which is quite a spectacular. How are you, Dubai Eye? We are wonderful. We'd like to know a little bit about what you have enjoyed moderating and highlights for you. Amazing things that have come out in conversations that you'd like to share with us on air. Well, do you know, there's a very impressive program of events, of cultural events, special events and educational events that have been crafted by uh, here at the, uh, at the Abu Dhabi Book Fair. But there are a couple of standout events for me. One, it was a real privilege and honour to share a stage uh, with Mr. Yousafzai, Malala Yousafzai's father, who is one of the most involved, kind and bravest men I've ever had the honour to meet. A man who stood up to the Taliban, who stood up to the tradition of not educating women in the Swat Valley in northern Pakistan, um, and whose family has paid a price for it. But it was lovely to meet him and his wife, Malala's mother, and to find a Pakistani man who took absolute joy in ironing his daughter's shalwa kameez each morning before she went to school. And now that Malala is at um, Lady Margaret Hall College in Oxford University, he, one thing he misses about her, amongst many other things, of course, is his, 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 his right, his responsibility of ironing her shalwa kameez before she goes to school. Uh, so meeting, um, meeting him was an absolute pleasure and honor. It was very nice to see John Kerry here, uh, on the first day, and my hope was that he was going to run for the presidency of the United States of America. Uh, but Joe Biden has obviously come out, so I think John will stand down. He won't want to split the Democratic vote. And then there were some fantastic children's events. There's a marvelous children's program, and I've just come off stage with the uh, inimitable Curtis Jobling, the um, artist, illustrator, and author, the man who is often often allied with Bob the Builder, who was doing a fantastic job working with Sarah McIntyre, who is also a fantastic illustrator and children's author herself. They've been working hand-in-hand to create a comic, a comic strip live on stage in front of an audience here at the Abu Dhabi International Book Fair. Those are my two highlights. Paul, it's Etna here. Good morning to you. How are you doing? Hello, Etna. How very nice to hear from you. Good. All your, all your panels are safe today, but I do want to say that your uh, you know, interview that you did and I think the, uh, how you really brought out the very best when we listened to Malala's father, that was just such a touching interview. It was incredibly emotional. And I think everybody in that audience was just, you know, uh, so interested to start with. And I think many times probably a little amazed at what a, an open-minded man that he is. And when he talks back to his father and just the, the life that he led and the sort of struggle that he had to make sure that he almost could do this and stand up for the rights of his daughter and give her a position that many other people in the region would have been only given to sons. Well, if I, may I make a comment? Because I, I think you're there. I think you're partway there. But the most extraordinary thing about Ziauddin uh, Yousafzai is this, that he came from the you know, multi-generational tradition where men did nothing in the house. They yes. didn't cook. They didn't make tea. They didn't do the ironing. They didn't do the cleaning. They didn't sweep the floor. Everything, you know, no man, if a man... 
his, when his father's first wife died, his father took a second wife very quickly because men were useless without women, and that's why they weren't educated. And the young Ziaudin, Yusuf Sai, at the age of 16, realized that this is a massive inequality. And he and I were discussing various things before we went on stage. And I said, we, we, you, it's taking too long for us to realize that women hold up half the sky. And he said, yes, my wife holds up half my life. And he, the one thing, here's the one quote that changed things around for me that I think he said to the audience. He said, my name is Yusuf Sai. Uh, sorry, my name is Ziaudin Yusuf Sai. I used to be known as father of Malala Yusuf Sai. Uh, sorry, that she was my daughter. That's what I've got it the wrong yes, way around. Yes. I do apologize, Dubai. I'm sorry, Dubai. She said, um, um, uh, Malala used to be my daughter. I am now her father. That's how it's worked. She's now the, you know, she now, he now serves her, whereas in the past it would have been she served him. Yes, it was very moving. It was lovely. Thank you You're so very much. Kind. Thank you so much for talking to You're us. You're most um, kind. Would you like to, Would you like to have um, Isabel Abulhul back? Of course. She'd like to come back for a quick minute. Hi, everyone at Dubai. I'm missing you, but we are having the most marvelous time down here. Don't forget, tomorrow we have our uh, poetry evening, 8 p.m., with the one and only Ben Okri and Afra and Frank Dulligan and Zaina Hashim Beck. So, if anyone's listening and can come down tomorrow to Abu Dhabi Book Fair. It's going to be an amazing session hosted by the one and only Paul Blessard. Um, I'm going to go now and get on with the sessions. But, oh, my goodness, it's been, it's been a fantastic experience down here. Thank you so much for talking to us, Isabel. Enjoy the, enjoy the rest of the book fair. And I will, I will enjoy living vicariously through you. <laughs> Thank you. Take bye care. Bye-bye. 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 See you again. Isabel Abelhul, our Talking of Books correspondent live from the Abu Dhabi Book Fair today alongside Paul Blazard, who's been moderating a lot of the panels and discussions over there as well. Before we move on, I do have a couple of quick book news items that caught my eye. So there have been a few new book releases. The one that everybody is talking about now is Fifty Shades of Grey author E.L. James' new romance novel, The Mister, has just been released. And once again, it's an example of one of those things that's completely panned by critics, but no one cares because, once again, it's not affecting book sales in any way, shape or form, and it has sold 52,000 copies in its first week. Now, I didn't see it on sale at the book fair, but many people were talking about it. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're you're right. I mean, it's uh, and in a way, I think for somebody like E.L. James, it almost is bad publicity works. It's It's the old... Bad public, no publicity is good publicity, but in this case, or any publicity is good publicity. So she's taking advantage of this. Yeah, also um, on Tuesday earlier this week, this is interesting, the Tolkien mm. estate and family made a statement about the upcoming J.R.R. Tolkien biopic starring Nicholas Holt as a young Tolkien and Lily Collins as his wife. They have said that they quote, do not endorse it or its content in any way, unquote. And biographer John Garth, who is the author of Tolkien and the Great War, has said that they made a sensible decision as, quote, biopics typically take considerable license with the facts, and this one is no exception. Endorsement by the Tolkien family would lend credibility to any divergences and distortions. That would be a disservice to history. Yes, I suppose they've looked at it very, very carefully. And But again, at the same time, it's uh, interesting why they wouldn't have been more consulted in the beginning, but perhaps it's better just to get on with it or else it's not going to happen. This is just the most recent yes. example of a long legacy of disputes between the Tolkien estate and people who want to do creative things with his original works. So if you're interested in all things Tolkien, there's 
In addition to the upcoming film, there's also an upcoming television series on Amazon in the works. In 2017, the estate sold rights for $250 million. That's an awful lot of money for a series based on previously unexplored stories based on his original writings. So it goes beyond what we've seen in Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. So they're on board with, I think... The correct fictional adaptation and things that they approve, but this biopic they are completely distancing themselves from. 100%. And I guess they do want to keep control. I mean, it makes sense, too, that they actually look very carefully at who they affiliate themselves with. So this is one that uh, that didn't quite hit the mix there. Yeah, I have very mixed feelings about biopics, but that's just me personally. There's just so much more to hear. Download our podcast at DubaiEye1038.com.